I'm Kieran Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast where we look back at movies from the 2000s. However, first things first, Kate, the people want to know, did you finish the Godfather Challenge? I did finish the Godfather Challenge. Okay. So before we get into the movie that we will eventually get into... I think this was your way of working Godfather into this podcast without it falling into our criteria, but that's okay. Continue. we all do what we need to do, all right? That's fine. So before we get into that movie, which, you know, spoiler warning, I think we both really enjoy. We'll get there eventually. The Godfather. What did you think of all three movies? Sort of walk us through, like, how did you prepare yourselves? How did you sit down and watch? Like, walk us through what your what your routine here was. So I will say watching a movie that I didn't take notes on for the podcast is a totally different experience. I pop the popcorn, I get the M&Ms, we curl up under a blanket, like it's a cozy affair. Definitely was a cozy affair once I realized that all three movies were three hours long or longer. Um, So like that's a knock against the movies for me. Um, just, just hold on there for a second though. Like we had this discussion, I think last week about long movies and if they're good, it doesn't matter how long they are. So are you saying that you felt the length of, of all three movies and therefore that's, that's a slight knock against all three? Yeah. I think there's slight knock. I don't know what I would have cut out of them to make them less time, but when I'm told that a movie is three hours long, I'm like, oh, okay, that's, I'm in for the long haul. Uh, Part of it's also like we started at 8.30 or 9 because that's after Briar goes to sleep and everything. So it means that I'm up till midnight and then I'm up at 5 a.m. with her. So like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like just the the idea of three hours is long. I will say. I am the person who watched almost all six hours of the coronation this past weekend. So like absolute <laughs> madness. Like <laughs> So for me, I guess it is just depending on what's happening. I watched all all of the movies. I watched them in their entirety. One of them, I think the third one, I ended up watching at six AM yesterday morning because I thought you were coming to get the DVD set from me yesterday so you could watch them last night. And I was like, well, I gotta watch them first thing in the morning. So me and Briar sat at 6 a.m. and watched the third Godfather. That's a hell of a way just to start your day. Like eating breakfast, watching, you know, Vatican uh, real estate deals gone bad. Yeah. But yeah. So overall, like I said, had the popcorn, had the M&Ms. I got to enjoy them rather than analyze them or sure. like yeah. critique them yeah. a little bit, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, I did enjoy them. Let's let's go through. Let's go through. Yeah. So Godfather One. Godfather first one, one up was probably my least favorite until I talked to you. So okay. I had watched the first one. Thank God I came in and saved <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Do you want me to quote what you said the day you go watched, for it? You go. watched you watched this and I just happened I think I was over the next day and yep. you sort of said, Watch the first one and I said, What'd you think? And your response was I don't get it. Like, I don't get why this is a big deal. And I was like, I was worried at that point. I was a little bit like, oh no, she doesn't understand. I think because in my head, I know the big strokes of Godfather. I knew it was an Italian mafia story. I knew 
that there was like this underworld thing. Like I knew kind of the big idea of the movie. I didn't realize how quiet of a movie it would be. And I think quiet's the best description I have in my head of it. I didn't realize how not gentle isn't the right word. Yeah, definitely not gentle. Um, but like there the isn't his head within the first ten minutes. Yeah, but in such a way that there's not big shootouts every five minutes, and the fact that they're not really kind of yelling and screaming at each other like I would picture in like a mafia movie. Um, so I think my expectations or my what I had thought I was getting into was very different the when I watched the first one. And so I did leave the first one being like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. And so after talking to you and you're like, well, it was really important because the use of shadows, I think you had said. And I was like, yep, didn't clue into that. But then I noticed that in the next one. So I think the first one was definitely my least favorite because I didn't understand. The second and the third are probably tied. I really enjoyed in the second one the fact that it was both a prequel and a sequel Yeah, in yeah. one movie. Yeah. I enjoyed that way of telling the story and I enjoyed the parallels between uh, Michael and his dad. Vito. Yeah. Vito. Um, I will say didn't recognize some people in the movie because this was from what? the 70s yeah so like some of them i only know in their 90s or 2000s bodies so some of them had no idea that they were the actor until afterwards like did you like did you know before putting it on that like robert de niro was in this no. one and al, no. al pacino you didn't know any of this stuff. no i didn't recognize them at all oh my god <laughs> okay. and that's the thing i think i knew in the back of my head i'd heard people talk to about them I knew Al Pacino because he was in the first one as well. Yeah. Um, but De Niro, I was like, I think somebody said he was in it, but I didn't recognize him. But that's because I know older De Niro. Right. I hadn't seen him right. younger. Yeah. Seen him do things when he was younger. Um, and then for the third one, I really enjoyed the Vatican story. Um, but that's just because I love kind of conspiracy theories and kind of them exploring the religion of it all. But yeah. So I'm glad I watched them. I will say it's nice now knowing when people quote The Godfather or talk about various things. You know where it's coming from. I now know where it's coming from. Yeah. I didn't realize in the all of them come from the first 45 minutes of the very first movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many. The, sa- the second one I'd have to think about, I, I, I the first and the second I, I've watched a ton. Yeah. And like have a pretty good memory. Obviously when we get into like individual lines of dialogue, like you know, I can't really remember what, what comes from what. Um, but I, I did rewatch the third one for the first time in probably a decade. And the, it's interesting to hear you say that the third one is maybe tied as your favorite because the third one is often maligned as this like horrible movie. Yeah. And I can remember the first time watching these movies and I, I got these DVD, I got these DVD box sets probably right at the moment where I was really getting into movies um, because I think I got them as a Christmas gift. Like I specifically said I wanted the Godfather trilogy on DVD for, for Christmas. So I knew enough at the time to be like one and two are classic of classic of classic, you know, top 10 of all time sort of thing, both of them. But then I also knew that number three was this like, Oh, it's awful. It's awful. That's what everyone keeps saying. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And so I remember getting to the third one on my first viewing and watching it and being like, 
I don't think that's that bad. Like, right? I think it's okay. It's it's not as good for sure. I will give you that. I'll say that. But like, it's not that bad of a movie. Like, I didn't think it was awful. No, so. no. I think like the if if I was to say you know any sort of criticism or whatnot about it is, um, I think like most of most of the three movies are like pretty episodic in terms of like the plot. Like the plot kind of goes and then you know there's a bit of a break and then it goes again and it, you know what I mean? Yeah. All sort of thing. And I think that's mostly because the first two movies take place over like many, many years. And so there is kind of like resets in the movie to sort of be like, okay, you know, that just happened and now we're going to reset here and we're going to do this two story. years later. Yeah. The, we're going to yeah. do this story for a little bit. They obviously, they do that as well in the third one, but this, uh, watching it again yesterday, the third one to me was very much like, Oh, there's a first half and then there's a second half. Yeah. So there's a first half when it's basically all in New York and it's about um, Michael trying to basically get out of the mob and be finished with the mob um, and, you know, trying to go out on good terms with everybody. But there's, you know, up and coming guys in the in the organization that just refuse to let him go and they sort of, you know, he has to do things. And that's the first half. And then the second half is all about them in Sicily and sort of like him grappling with his own legacy and his family and things like that. And it did sort of feel like, oh, in the other two movies, when they would do these like episodic bits, they still all meshed together. Whereas this one, it was very much like, oh, there, there's a, a side there's a, a break. <laughs> yeah, there's a side A and a side B here. And like, there's not a whole lot of connective tissue. But at the same time, I was like, both are compelling. Both are interesting. Both, ne- like, neither half is slow. Like, they both move pretty good. And so I was like, yeah, I, I don't think it's that bad of a movie. Yeah, I think what I, and I think it was Mum came in at, like, kind of the second half of the third movie or whatever. Because I had started it so early in the day. And she kind of pointed it out. And I was like, oh, yeah. The first two, I think the word mafia is, like, never used. Mob and mafia are never used. And then very much in the third one, because I think you had kind of said before, like, the third one was a bit of a cash grab, a bit of a, like... It's, it's, it was a paycheck like... job, yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, Coppola needed the money <laughs> in a big way. And so I did notice then, after she pointed it out, like, mafia is used. And so, like, and I don't think it was kind of as shadowy and, like, dark, if I'm kind of remembering. No. Not nearly as much as the first two. Not nearly as much, and I think part of that does you know just happened naturally because the whole second half of the movie basically takes place outdoors in True. Sicily. So like you can only do so much, right? But it also takes place in the it it's set in the 70s. And so you then have I think like the first couple were set in the 40s and 50s. And so now like America as a place ha- knows about the mafia, True. knows about the mob for 20 30 years so like it's it's going to be out there a little bit more um whereas in the first two like they were still kind of underground i think people maybe knew about them but like you didn't really talk about them um so yeah i, I do like how all three movies kind of weave in real history yes. into these fictional stories you know what i mean like and i think uh, that's what had me interested in the third one is the pope story yeah is true yeah like there was well, a pope yeah there w- <laughs> yeah. there was a pope who like only ruled i guess for 33 days yeah. and like his death does seem a bit suspicious and stuff like that so like that had me intrigued so 
But yeah, no, not bad. Uh, the thing that kept me interested, probably for most of them, and I knew it happened in the third one, is in a TV show that I love in Gilmore Girls. They talk about having a Godfather trilogy one day, and they're like, "We're gonna keep, we're gonna keep eating and watching the movies until Sophia dies, and we're gonna watch that scene over and over and over again." And I was just the entire time I was like, "Who's Sophia? There's no character named Sophia. Who is Sophia?" And then I realized it was Sophia. Sophia Coppola. Coppola. <laughs> yeah. The so. you brought her up there. Um, I can't really defend it. Like, no. Yeah. Everything that I've said about the third movie, I still stand by. I don't think it's that bad she's not an actress and no. I, like she knows she's not an actress she was kind of thrust into the role when winona Ryder dropped out oh uh, okay yeah. i was wondering how she yeah. got it so when the story basically is winona Ryder had filmed a few weeks of the movie and then basically like needed a break from exhaust like she was working so much at this point she needed a break from exhaustion and she just like left and they sort of scrambled to find a replacement. And then Coppola just brought his daughter in um, to sort of take over that role. And like, I think in hindsight, he probably wouldn't have done anything different, even though like her acting is not very good. And like, it's like, it does her a real disservice because she's quite literally all of her scenes are either with Al Pacino Andy Garcia or Diane Keaton. Like yeah. three of the biggest movie stars we've ever had. And it's like every, she has to share the screen with them every single time. It's like, of course she's going to look bad. Of course she's going to look yeah. bad. But like, these were very family movies for him. So like, I don't think he, in hindsight, he would do anything different. I think he would still give that role to his daughter and just sort of see what happens. But yeah, like it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. It's, it's rough. Uh, but you know, I think the rest of the movie is pretty good to yeah. sort of cover over that. Speaking of kind of people I didn't recognize, Andy Garcia was another one. At the beginning of the movie, I didn't recognize him, couldn't place him, and then only once um, Al Pacino kind of takes him at, like really under the wing, and I think more so when they're in Italy, and he has kind of his slick back hair yeah, 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 and stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. that's who you are. That's, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, I recognize you now. The other critique I had of the first movie was I really hated the sister. Oh, yeah. Connie? Uh, Connie. Yeah. Uh, because I told you about her and I was like, I hate her acting choices. Like, she just seems so whiny and like, just so extreme. And you're like, but do you think he did that on purpose? Like, yeah, they like... see, they filmed things multiple times. Like, clearly that's what he wanted. I was like, I understand. I can't stand her though. She grew on me. She like... Because she becomes less whiny and... Well, by by the third movie, she's basically Michael's right-hand man. Yeah. Like, I think the... It's not a critique of the movie because he's not in the movie. But I think not having um, Duvall as Tom Hagen in the third movie is, like, a missed opportunity. I think having him in there would have made the movie a little bit better. Maybe would have smoothed out a few of the storylines a, a little bit more. But at the same time, does that then maybe lessen Connie's impact on the story? Because, like, she is very important in the third movie. Yeah. Do you know why he wasn't in the yeah, third? Yeah, money. Yeah, just money. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just... So, he when, like, basically when they, they all agreed to come back to do a third one, um, Pacino said, I'll come back if you, I can't remember what the number was, 8 million, 10 million, whatever it is. And Duvall said, well, if you're going to pay... Pacino that amount I want I think he asked for five or six yeah 
And he's like, I can understand paying Al Pacino twice as much as the rest of us because, you know, he's the star. He's the lead character. But I think they offered him like two million and he's like, Pacino's not, not worth wor- it. Pacino's not worth four times what I'm going to do. And so he's just like, if, yeah, like, okay. I don't need the money, you know, and he, he doesn't. But it, it is, I think it's a missed, it's a missed opportunity because like his role is still there. So like Michael's lawyer is still a big role in the movie. It's just not Tom Hagen. I think it probably should have been. Should so, have been. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, like any sort of favorite moments from the three movies, any sort of favorite scenes? The scene that's actually kind of sticking in my head that almost made me sad for the character was Al Pacino's death in the end. Um, no, they got you. They, they got like, you. You're not supposed to cheer for him. He's not a good guy. No, but like your heart does break for him that he was a family guy. Like he loves his family. Yes, he kills a few of them. Um, I, would, but, I would argue he is not a family man. But like, Holy I shit. think I think he wants what's best for his family. He wants what's sure. best. If you sure. do him good or do him right, he turns around and does the same for you. And so the fact that he then dies. Such a mob line. If you treat me right, I'll take care of you. Oh my God. Nine hours in The Godfather and Kate is totally flipped over on the mob. She is pro-mob. She is in the bag. Oh my God. I didn't think it would happen that quick. No? I didn't think it would happen that quick. (laughs) You thought a few more movies and I would jump in? Thought I'd at least have to show you the like fun bits of the good of Goodfellas before you'd fully be like, yeah, I'm in. This this seems great. But like for me, I I understood him as a family guy. Like I've said, because I, I could see it with his nephew. I think it's Tom Hagen's kid that they end up sending to the Vatican. Yeah. Um. Clearly, he's been good to Al Pacino's character. So Al Pacino's like, I'm gonna help you out. Like. Here, use my connections, get over there, and stuff. And so for him to die alone in a courtyard with a dog, I was just like, he had nobody? Like, even his dad had a grandson there with him? Like, Yeah, but like, we've just gone through two and a half movies where he's more or less a monster. Like, he's, like, uh, he's got to pay for those sins. He's got to pay for those sins. My and, heartbreak. Yeah. My heart, yeah. That's probably the one that's like really sticking out in my head right now is... Yeah, his death. So, yours? I basically love everything from the first two movies. Um, I love the scene with Michael and Salazzo and McCluskey in the first one where they go out to dinner and Michael kills them. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, the whole way that's, like, that's shot, it's edited. I think it's, like, just brilliant. And then in the second movie, I basically, I, I fully love the second movie, but... Everything with De Niro, everything with the young Vito yes. growing up is so good and so much fun to watch. And like they have talked about making a fourth movie that would basically be like an extension of the young Vito story to like get us from his sort his story in Godfather 2 to the beginning of Godfather 1. Like those those middle years, those whatever. Um, when he really kind of became... When he really becomes the, yeah. the godfather. And they've talked about it, but like, I think it would be a horrible mistake. But um, there's a scene in that where he goes with a young Clemenza 
to pick up a rug. Yes. And they and, just steal it. <laughs> and they just steal it. And like the whole way through, Clemenza's like, yeah, it's just my buddy's house. Like he, you know, he said I could come pick it up. And it's like, oh, the idiot, he locked the door and I don't have to get it. It's like, eventually you realize like, oh, they're, they're just robbing this yes. house of a rug. And it did take me a little bit to clue into that because yeah. I kind of was like, oh, cool. Like, this is nice of them. And it, for me, it was once they started to move the furniture off the rug, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, like this is <laughs> this friend didn't know they were coming at all. Yeah. 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 No. I, I like I love the whole but then like it's also like one of those like insights into like because they were so impoverished that like just having a rug in the house is this feeling of like pride and accomplishment and sort of like, oh, I I can do this. Like I can, you know, maybe bend the rules a little bit. Yeah. And have a nicer life. And so like I, I, I love that whole scene. The whole scene is like so funny. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely one of my favorites. But yeah, The Godfather. So I, I'm going to have to come up with another challenge for you. I'll, I'll find maybe something, a few older movies that are maybe more in your wheelhouse. Okay. Um, have you seen Casablanca? No. Oh, might have. <laughs> might have so, to but what your rankings of The Godfather, number two is your first. Number two is my first and then number one. And like. I am quite literally splitting hairs on that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It is so tight. I just, I just prefer the rise and fall of part two. Yeah. Like, I just enjoy watching Vito rise and Michael just sort of descend into absolute monster. But, um, and then number three, number three, like I would have both of the first two is like five out of fives, perfect movies. And then I'd have number three is like, seven out of ten like maybe oh, okay. seven so, and a half out of ten okay, so like, still fairly up there I still would, like it's better than your average movie it is absolutely better than your average movie it is not great but it is certainly good yeah so yeah and then for you it's it's two and three and then one yeah 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 because i think after talking to you i then was able to go into two understanding what Francis Ford Coppola was trying to get across to me. I think if we had had a conversation kind beforehand. of beforehand, before number one, where you were kind of like, this is kind of the big idea. I'm not going to give you specifics, but like, watch out for this, look for this. This is like when he does this, this is why I, it might have come out differently. I don't, I don't think you will do it. I would <laughs> certainly recommend that you do, but um, I, I am curious now if, if you go back and watch the first one again, what? Sort of with everything in your mind, with how two and three play out, with all that sort of stuff. I do wonder if you would pick up on more and appreciate more the second time through. Where where now your expectations have been firmly set. You know what to expect. So you won't go in thinking like, well, I'm going to get this shootout scene. I'm going to get, you know, my typical ABC, you know, gangster movie cliches. Um yeah, I, I'm curious. I'm curious. But yeah, I don't think you're going to do no. that anytime so, soon. So I think it was Chris who joked about it and recommended it. He was like, do you know how movies tend to have director commentary? I was like, yeah. He's like, I think you need to watch a movie with Kieran and have Kieran commentary and stuff. And so I was like, ooh, that could be an idea. So Just a, a live watch along with me? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it's not that exciting. <laughs> it's not like I'm sitting there talking to myself. But like, I would actually have to, I'd have to be conscious of the fact that we're doing it. And, and like, you'd have to kind of yeah, I, voice I, your I, inner I, thoughts. I just sit there and just say uh, like, I'll sometimes be like, that was cool. But like, that's <laughs> about it. So yeah, I don't know if we're going to do that for an episode. 
Uh, we can move on to the movie that we're actually here to talk about. Oh yeah, there was one this week, wasn't yeah, it? There's, there's another movie this week, yeah. We are going back to March 3rd, 2006, which is the Friday we could have rented Pride and Prejudice, starring Keir Knightley. We're doing the Keir Knightley version because most other versions are miniseries and we're not here to talk about those. So, uh, Kate, take it away. Give us a plot description for Pride and Prejudice. Okay, so Pride and Prejudice, like we've just said, stars Kira Knightley as Elizabeth Bennett, and it follows four other Bennett sisters. Um, and it also features or stars Matthew McFadden as Mr. Durr. McFadden. There's a Y. There's a sneaky Y in oh, there. Oh, okay. So how do I say it again? McFadden. McFadden. Yeah. Um, as Mr. Darcy. And it just follows these five sisters going kind of through society, trying to find relationships, much at their mom kind of pushing them into many relationships, and just trying to see if at the end of the movie, any of them could get married. Really? <laughs> kind of most Jane Austen yeah. stories, I think, are just like, can we get married at the end? That's kind <laughs> of how they all end up. Yeah. But so to start off, we had a challenge, Karen and I, on trying to read the books. I, unfortunately, did not succeed in that challenge because at one point it became, do I read Pride and Prejudice or do I watch Godfather? And Godfather won. Um, so how, Kieran, does this compare to the book? Let's start there. Well, so I'm, I'm curious, how far into the book did you get? What, what's the last thing you can remember reading about? Um, Mr. Collins. Oh, so that's is, like still quite early. Yeah, so Mr. Collins has just proposed. He just and, proposed. And Elizabeth ran away. Okay. <laughs> so what I'll say is I'm obviously I'm obviously reading more and I'm obviously like finding genres of books that I can sort of more or less like blindly pick up and be like, I'm probably gonna enjoy this. And I, I think I've done I've done that. I've, I think I've figured out a few things, but I do want to read more classics and more books that I think think I probably should have read by this stage of my life. Pride and Prejudice was one of them. I really enjoy this movie. I've seen this movie a few times. So I knew I already enjoyed the story. Sitting down to read the book, very quickly I was like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. This right? is this is going to be tough. I'm going to have to... There's a part of me now or one of the things I'm learning as I'm reading more is like, it is perfectly fine to just be like, I am not in the mood to read this book. And just put it put it away for later. Six months, a year later, whatever. Doesn't matter. There was a part of me that was like, no, no, no. You, ha I have to stick this one out. I have to sort of power through. And what I will say is that there were many points in the book where I, I was both conscious of the fact that the way Jane Austen uses language, uses the English language, is like superior to everything else I've ever read in my life. Like... She is on another level. I, I know hot take to come out and be like Jane Austen, good writer. That's <laughs> like, you know, but at the same time, it was so foreign to how I use the language and to the books that I normally read uses the language that I was sort of like, do I like this? Like, I don't know if I even like this. Like I can identify that it's really, really good, but like, I don't know if I'm enjoying it about halfway through the book that, flipped and i basically devoured the second half of the book in like two days okay and like could not put it down and i i think i 
I can identify the scene. We can maybe get into it in the movie bit because it's still important in the movie, but I think less so. And, and that was the letter scene when she receives the letter from Darcy explaining everything that he had done up until that point. From that moment on, I was like, holy fuck, I'm in. Like, okay. I am so in and I need to just get to the end of this book. Like, I, I could not put it down. And yeah, I think from from that moment on, I, I was I was hooked. But until that point in the book, I was like, this is this is challenging. And this so like Kieran and I hadn't really compared a whole lot when we were reading on where are you, where am I, things like that. And I think when we were in Ireland, I was talking about it and I was saying that I was struggling because I agree. It was hard. It's hard to read. It's just hard to get into the rhythm. And that's what you kind of said at yeah. one point. You were like, it's one of those ones where he's just said, like, you have to be like, I'm going to read Pride and Prejudice now. And he's like, once you get in, if you're in for 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, once you're in the book, you're fine. And you can read through no problem. But it's that first it's, kind of, it's, it's getting you it into yeah, it picking every up that time. Picking page or two. Yeah. Yeah, it's for sure. picking up every time. And it's kind of being like, okay, get yourself into that mindset. And I think at one point as well, you were saying you had read a page, page and a half or whatever, and totally didn't realize who was talking sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and you would have to yeah. go back and be like, okay, who's talking now? Yeah. Like <laughs> there, there was full on like a whole conversation. And I can remember thinking like, okay, I'm falling on. I, I know what's going on. And then I read a sentence at the end of the conversation that just threw me for a loop. Be like, oh, I didn't understand anything. Like I need to go back. <laughs> Who who's saying who's that? talking now? Who's talking? Yeah. And I went back and I was like, oh, I none of this went in. Yeah. I just like fully just like read the words, but nothing went in. I didn't comprehend any of it. And then yeah, so I, I to, there were a couple times where I was like, let me reread that. Let me did I fully pick up on everything there? So so I know kind of the biggest thing when it goes from book to movie is people either love how it's transferred over or hate it. Do you prefer the book or the movie? I prefer the movie. Okay. I prefer the movie. I think the the book is obviously very good. It's not my genre. It's not my style. So, you know, I can't help but not be fully won over by it. Whereas I think the movie, there are enough small changes in the movie to the book that I think make the movie, makes the movie better. Um, there are a couple small changes that I was sort of like, oh, I don't know if you fully explained all of that and somebody who didn't read the book might not fully understand, but I think on the whole, the changes that Joe Wright makes for the movie makes the movie more cinematic and more uh, exciting than the exact same passages in the book. Okay. So like, what are some examples? Um, well, there was just like, there's a lot of talking in rooms in the book. There's a lot of conversations in rooms. Um, most of the major events happen as conversations in rooms. And like, you know, that's probably how they happen. So like, yeah. of course, that's <laughs> what you would write. Whereas what I found is like, from the very opening seconds of the movie, Joe Wright had obviously made this decision to be like, this is going to take place outside. This movie is going to be an outside movie. We're going to get out into nature. I'm going to use nature and weather to like reflect emotion of the characters and it's all going to be out there. And so like certain scenes where like Darcy proposes to Elizabeth, which like in the book, that's quite 
it's it's really well done. It's really well written. The dialogue is good and sharp, and you know, they are both insightful, but also like wrong about each other. Like it, it's really compelling to read, but it is in a room. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas in the movie, it takes place outside in the rain, and you know, they're not shouting at each other, but it's kind of an argument, and you're just like, oh, this is better. Like this, this was a better choice. And there's just a few things like that throughout the throughout the movie where I was like, oh, th- that was better. That was handled better. That was handled better. If we want to get into one that I think was not handled better, that's the whole Lydia and Wickham storyline. Yeah, I kind of just like... So you haven't gotten there in the book. I haven't gotten there in the book. It's one of the things in the movie that I think it was in your review and I was like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense or I noticed it this time. They like never explicitly really meet the two of them, and then all of a sudden they're married. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Like <laughs> so that that more or less happens in in the book as well. Like in the book, um, he becomes quite close with Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, and to the point that she thinks he might propose, and that she would probably say yes. He then goes off and meets another young woman who would be given more money in a marriage than Elizabeth would be given. And so then Elizabeth, because she's kind of this practical character in terms of love, fully understands. She's like, of course, that's a better match. You know, he needs money, all this sort of shit. So like she gets it. She doesn't begrudge him for that. But because he would be around, Lydia would know him in the book, right? As a character in the movie, they sort of set him up to be more of not a rival in love with not a rival for Elizabeth's love with Darcy, but just a rival to Darcy to sort of be like, you know, there are things in Darcy's past that you don't fully understand. Whereas in the, in the book, he very much, he is the one that Elizabeth has affection for at the beginning, not Darcy. And so when he goes away and Darcy proposes to her, she's like, of course, like, no, like, I don't like you at all. I like, this other person uh, okay. that you kind of hate actually whereas in the in the movie they don't really set that up but then the the big one is when he runs away with Lydia in the book they fully explain that like they have run away to basically fuck each other like they okay. neither of them have any intention of getting married neither have any intention of like seeing this through being in a relationship being in a relationship they more or less just run away to like go have sex with each other okay (laughs) and and that's the scandal that's the scandal because she is a young woman from a good family she's 15 well she's 15 she's 15 and he's 20 something it was a different world it was a different world we're not here to judge the past (laughs) but like that is the scandal. Whereas in the movie, I don't think they fully explain that. They more or less just explain that she's run away with him. And it's sort of like, well, what's the big deal? Like, Yeah, I get... But they don't explain that, like, they had no intention of getting married. Because they had no means to get married. So yeah, that's I would say, why Darcy has to show up and, and save the day. Yeah, I would say the scandal in the movie is the fact that they ran away, got married... And there was no family. There was no... Which that, is, like, like, not the scandal at yeah. all in the book. That's not the big deal in the book. Like, it would be it would be one thing to sort of be, like, you know, you might still talk about it. There might be a little bit of gossip. But ultimately, like, as long as they got married, everything was going to be okay. But in the book, like, there was no intention to get married because they had no means to get married. And that's the scandal, is that they've run away to just 
shack up together. Yeah. Um, so the watching, watching the movie through this time, I was sort of like, Oh, you guys didn't, because you don't fully set up Wickham in the first half of the movie, you then can't fully set up this scandal in the second half. And so like, that was a little bit like sort of like, ah, oh, that could have been maybe handled a little bit better. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think that the movie, the movie also cuts out Mr. Collins a lot, which I was like, oh, thank God. Sorry. Is, is he tough in the, cause I kind of like. Have you only I'm, just gotten to the beginning? Yeah. I think I'm kind of just, he's just start like, of him. <laughs> he's just like a character. Like we were saying, if, if you're having trouble getting into a book and reading pages in a book to have a character just like monologue for two or three full pages and like his the way that he monologues is very like um it's like overly polite it's like politeness to sort of a fault where i like reading his passages in the book i was just like holy fuck kill me now like this is (laughs) this is so hard to get through and in the movie they they cut a lot of that out so in the movie i was like oh thank god joe right like you know you you really say you've done well you've done done well like (laughs) You still get the essence of the character. You still get, you still understand the spirit of the character, but like they cut away so much fat to sort of be like, yeah, we're, you know, he's not important. Ultimately, Mr. Collins is not important. It's like, we're not going to spend that much time on him. Yeah. When he does come on and he's there, you kind of, you're like, oh, he's back. And I love the scene where Elizabeth's friend comes. Oh, it's such a great scene. And says like, yeah, Mr. Collins has proposed. I've said yes, and Elizabeth is there, being like, "Why? He's awful." And she's like, "Because he proposed." Yeah. Like, yeah. not all of us have other options, other options, yeah. or even the idea of being like, "Do you want? I'm going to hold out for better." Yeah, the friend is there, being like, "A guy's proposed. I'm old. I'll get my own house." Well, like, I'm we're good. I think <laughs> like... ultimately that's the thing. Like, obviously, I knew that in the book because I'd seen the movie, but ultimately, like that. Yeah, like, you had to make some of these decisions sometimes to sort of be like, she's going to have a pretty comfortable life. Yeah. Is it going to be with a man that she, like, has no real affection for? Yeah, probably. But at the same time, I think there was also a thinking of, like, well, maybe I'll grow into it. You know what I mean? Whereas Elizabeth is coming to marriage from the idea of, like, I need to be fucking starstruck from moment one. I think the friend who I, I'm, Charlotte, Charlotte, yeah, um, is maybe sort of like, well, I might grow to enjoy his company. Yeah, we'll become companions. We'll be some... companions. Yeah, yeah. But I think she fully recognizes the like, this is an economic decision. Like, yeah, I'm costing my parents money by staying at home. I have no prospects. I have no whatever. Like, here's a way out of this situation to help everybody. And she takes it. And it's like sort of like in the movie, I think they do a good job of sort of that's one of the key moments, I think, in the movie of like maybe Elizabeth is a bit of a snob, like a bit of a, you know what I mean? Like she has all these ideas and she's obviously very intelligent, very well spoken. But because she has also lived quite a sheltered life, she doesn't fully understand everything yet, but she thinks she does, um, which then obviously plays into the whole Darcy thing as well. Right. So. How does Darcy compare? Because, like, I find him in the beginning, and it's definitely the way he's written, and he does a good job acting that way, but he's so kind of cold or aloof. In the beginning of the book? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is that how he is kind of throughout the book? Well, so the 
Yeah, you need to keep going because you need to get to the scene with the letter. Okay. Um, but yes, in in the book, because the first half of the book, you are so totally with Elizabeth. Yeah. Everything that happens comes through her and through her understanding of all the ex- scenes and experiences. And so, yeah, like he's a complete asshole in the first half of the book. He's a complete dick. And she hates him. And so we hate him. And we don't fully understand why he keeps popping up now and then, you know, sort of thing. And then when he proposes to her, it is kind of like, what the fuck, dude? Like, (laughs) she's given you zero indication that she would be interested. Zero. After the proposal, I think there's a moment where Elizabeth is sort of maybe like, I might have gone a little too hard there. Yeah. And then she very quickly gets the letter. And the letter sort of shifts her entire perspective on Darcy. And once that shifts, she then sees him in a new light, which then lets us see him in a new light. And then you fully fall in love. Okay. So like the the thing with Darcy that keep, you know, you keep reading everywhere online is that like of all the literary characters ever written, he is like the most popular, the one that everyone's like, I'd love to marry. I want to marry Mr. Darcy. Yeah, I don't get that. And the first half of the book, that was exactly it. I was like, I don't get this at all. Like, I have no idea. By the by, the end of the book, I was like, I fucking fully get it. Like, I would marry this guy. I think with the movie, because, because there's a camera there and because Joe Wright can linger when Elizabeth leaves the frame or leaves a scene or whatever, and he can linger on Darcy's face we can linger on somebody else. You know what I mean? You get these reaction shots. I think you're more primed for the fact that Darcy might have feelings for her. And just he doesn't know how to express those feelings. He also doesn't know how to express those feelings because she gives him nothing. Yeah. Because she's decided she hates him. She gives him nothing. And so now he's kind of half stuck being like, I really, really like this person. But I don't know how they feel back. And so when he does propose to her, it does feel more like a leap of faith than anything, which is like something that he would never, ever do. Um, And so when she rejects him, you sort of like, he kind of does retreat a bit like a puppy dog. Like, um, but then you, you get, as she sees him in a new light, you then also still get to as well. And so, yeah, I think, I think the movie, the movie maybe primes you a bit more for how he feels and how, how he truly is. Um, there's a bit of a performative aspect of like there's him around his friends and then him around Elizabeth in other situations. Um, so I think the movie maybe does that where it's sort of like, it's, it's also Matthew McFadden. Like people might know him as Tom from succession now, but like he's a good looking man. Like he's a, he's a handsome looking man. And so like, you're sort of like, yeah, like Keira Knightley could do a lot worse, yeah, <laughs> a lot worse than Darcy. Uh, speaking of Keira Knightley, yes, we obviously would have seen Keira Knightley, I think for the first time in Bennett Lake Beckham, which was one of her first roles. So by this stage, I think we all knew who she was, but like, I'm still surprised that she did this and she really, she crushes this role. And at this stage, she hadn't really done this. She hadn't really taken a classic literary character and like, Perform the hell out of it. This might still be one of her best performances. Because what had she done 
She hadn't gone from Bendit Like Beckham to this, had she? Well, she she did Bendit Like Beckham and then she did the, I think, two or three Pirates movies. Oh, and like, then she, went to this? She had already oh, okay. been in the Pirates movies. She'd done Love Actually. She was kind of just like the good looking lady. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, But then she takes on this role and you're like, holy fuck. Like, she has some serious talent. Yeah. And I think from this one, like, this is the one that then got her into the period dramas well this, this gets her an oscar nom and so oh, yeah there we go. yeah like you know what i mean and so then from there you're you're kind of flying right like you know but yeah so like when i patron saint of period piece that's the thing movies. now when i think of her i think of period pieces period dramas and stuff and she's definitely gone into that niche market and kind of has stayed there now like i think we were talking about the boston strangler movie that she was in uh, that we all watched in ireland and stuff like that and once again, period piece. Yeah. And like, even, she just, even her contemporary movies are still period, period pieces, pieces. Yeah. And stuff. And so like, she just knows what works for her now. So. <laughs> I think, I think she's really good in this. Like, I think the Elizabeth character, we're obviously like, you're set up to like her and to be on her side. But I think Karen Knightley does a good job of sort of being like, there is, there's some regret in this character. Like she's, she does say and do things that she then regrets. And I think Karen Knightley, like, does a good job of portraying that like you know she's not a perfect person yeah do you have a favorite sister oh a favorite sister well i really like rosamund pike um as jane jane okay um but i think that's because i really like rosamund pike um i like my heart sort of breaks for mary okay because she's (laughs) mine too yeah like you just want to give her a hug like the poor thing (laughs) The the thing I think that's in the movie that's not really in the book is that, um, so Mary's the third sister. Yeah. Which, every time I'd watched this movie, I thought she was the youngest sister. I had to look up their ages yeah. and remind myself the birth order yeah. and stuff. So, so. That, like, that comes up in the book. And then I was sort of like, oh, wow, okay, Mary's the third sister. So there, I think in the movie, I don't think it's in the books. So I don't really know where they're pulling this from. But after Mr. Collins proposes to elizabeth and she rejects him there is like a lingering shot on mary and i think mary expected yes. to then get the proposal yeah and i think she would have said yes yes because i think like charlotte she would have recognized like you know this will be comfortable i can do what i want um and like she doesn't enjoy the whole like society aspect of it and so then this would remove her from society and she wouldn't have to go to the balls and impress people. She would just be over there doing her own thing. I noticed that too. She kind of like turns and like looks at him or there's like As, a, as he leaves. As he leaves yeah. or something. And I was there kind of being like, I agree. She probably thinks she was next because he had said, I want Jane. Yeah. Jane's my top pick. Yeah. She's great. And the mom comes in and was like, actually, she's like almost kind of engaged. So like have Elizabeth instead. And then Elizabeth says no. So Jane, Mary's probably there being like, He's just going down the line. He's going, like, yeah, exactly. But so, like, my heart breaks for her because clearly Jane and Elizabeth are best friends. They're yeah. the two oldest. I think they share a bed or a room or something. Like, clearly they're best friends. And then you got Kitty and Lydia at the bottom end yeah. of it. Once again, best friends, always together. And Mary's just there kind of being like, Do you, Hi. When you looked up the birth thing, like, what's the age difference between them all? So, Jane is 22. Elizabeth was 20. Yeah. Mary was 18, Kitty's 17, and then Lydia's 15. Right, okay. So, like, 
not huge age gaps really between any of them or where Jane and Elizabeth were so far older that it does make sense that Mary yeah. would be by, like, right? Yeah. Like they're it's, all it's close enough. They're all yeah, close yeah. enough and stuff. But yes, yeah, my little, and like at the one party when Mary's singing and she's yeah. singing off key and then everybody's kind of making fun of her, but not telling her to stop. And the dad comes in. I'd like just, which, which uh, I Mary. think, I think might be another movie invention. Cause I don't actually remember if that happens or not in the book, but that part always like, even though I had huge sympathy for Mary, that, that part always did sort of ring false a little bit. Cause like, she's the musical one in the family. Um, and like, we see her practicing multiple times. So like, I don't think she would have been that bad. I think it was more, the singing was off key. Oh, okay. Cause like when you see her practicing, you see her just playing. playing? She's not singing. Oh, okay. Right. Maybe so she probably singer. thinks yeah. she's a good singer or the family just doesn't have a heart to tell her that right. she's not. But yeah, I think I think the other thing with the with the casting of the sisters in the movie is that um, Jenna Malone, who plays Lydia, is actually older than Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, who plays Kitty, Kitty who's an older. older sister. Yeah, I think she's also older than Tallulah Riley, who plays Mary, who's an older sister, and I think she's older than Keira Knightley, who plays Elizabeth. Oh Jesus! So like she's, but she's playing the youngest yeah. sister, and so. Yeah, it wasn't until reading the book that I even realized that Lydia was the youngest sister. I thought she was at least three or four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to find out she's supposed to be 15. I always thought... It doesn't, it doesn't detract from the movie no. at all. Like, I always thought Kitty was the youngest. I thought Kitty was the youngest as well. Like, the, the few times I'd seen the movie before this. Because they, in the movie, they, something said, I think it's Karen Knightley's character, says to a parent... Oh, if you give in to Lydia, like Kitty will follow along or Kitty will do it yeah, next or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, clear, like Kitty's the youngest yeah. then. And then when you find out that no, it's Lydia, I was like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> no, the thing I was thinking about this time, because another favorite of ours is Little Women. Yeah. And particularly, I think the new Little Women with. Yeah, Greta Gerwig's. Greta Gerwig's one. Yeah. Which do you think does a better portrayal of kind of sisters? And telling a sister story. Because oh. I would argue a sister story is just as important in this as them finding outside love. Oh, yeah. No, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I think that that's even more so in the book. Like, in the book, a lot of what Elizabeth does is to get Jane and Bingley together and then back together. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of her motivation and, and like even, even her whole relationship with Charlotte, like Charlotte's not a sister, but she's seen as a sister. Elizabeth treats her as a sister. Um, so a lot of that stuff in the book is there that they do trim down. They do sort of maybe even take away in the, in the movie. I think as a story of sisters, little women is probably a better example because so much of that story is about the four of them and their relationships to each other whereas like you were just saying in this one there is very much a like elizabeth and jane lydia and kitty and then kind of mary in the middle and we don't really see them hang out too much um like we see them hang out together but not sort of as like a fivesome uh, yeah just them alone yeah which you it's not really in the book either, but there are like passages in the book where like they walk to town together. And so you're sort of like, okay, they are like together. They are hanging out together. We're not maybe dwelling on what's happening too much, but they are definitely together. Whereas in the movie, it's that doesn't really come across all that much. 
so I think yeah, probably probably Little Women, especially the Greta Gerwig version. I I can't remember too many other ones, but the Greta Gerwig one like kind of continually reinforces the like these sisterhood. This these four sisters, these four women are like strongest together, and like together they can kind of do anything. But you know they all then scatter apart and whatnot. And yeah, obviously as somebody who likes the whole Downton Abbey altered stuff like are you just like continually bowled over by the houses and the estates and all that sort of stuff like like when you watch movies like this is that something that you're always sort of like plus points for that plus points for that yeah yeah because i can i can see them i think it's one of the scenes where collins and charlotte and elizabeth are going to see Lady Catherine de Berg de Berg yeah or whatever and they're walking up to the house and like you can see Elizabeth being like holy shit like look at this place and I'm there being like I would do the same thing like if I wasn't born in that house and stuff and it's your first time seeing it you would be like oh my god this place is huge like <laughs> well just to, to go off that I think yes you're right there's definitely a moment where she's sort of just like overwhelmed yeah by that house but I think there's a really fascinating inversion of that or whatever where she then goes to Pemberley which is Darcy's house the look on her face is not overwhelmed it's almost a sort of like oh this could have been my house yeah I could have and I think when and she's like, looking at the artwork when she's looking at the artwork and she's, and the sco- and she's sort of like statues oh. and things yeah that's one of the few moments I think earlier in the movie where she's like I, I could have been happy here actually I think I think I could have been happy yeah and it's sort of like it's like oh that's interesting like you know, she had one, she doesn't, I don't think she really gives a shit. No. About money and all that sort of shit. Like when she's at Catherine de Berg's house, I think it's, it's overwhelmed by just sort of like the opulence of it. Where, but at Darcy's, it was very much a like. I like, could have been here. I could have been here. I could have, I actually could have probably been happy and I could have been comfortable yeah. and I could have been a lot of things. And then like, obviously the money aside or whatever, but yeah. It was just interesting to watch this time around. I think it's also interesting that clearly this family wouldn't be wealthy. I would say they're very kind of middle class, maybe slightly upper middle class. Yeah, like I'd say they're probably, they're, they're definitely comfortable. comfortable. Yeah, like and they st- have people who work for them. Um. So what's fun is I actually have a book that I think you gave to me a couple of years ago that is from the servant's perspective of the Bennett family. Um, a book that I still have yet to finish. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. You surprise, surprise. Um, but yeah, so like of what I can remember, it's fun. It was fun to read it because it was the servants and you would recognize other characters names. They would talk about Elizabeth doing meeting Darcy and things like that. And you're kind of like, Oh, like this is what they would have seen. Like, right. 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 Like yeah. this is, they would have seen some of these things. They would have heard the talk. Um, and as the girls got married and moved out, they would have had less work because they would have had yep. another person that they wouldn't have had to need to like care for and stuff. And so like, I just kind of found all of that kind of interesting. So just going back to the Catherine de Berg stuff in the movie, that's obviously Judy Dench and she yep. comes in and she fucking crushes it and she's yep. so prickly and she's so awful. And so when I got to those chapters in the book, those were that was another point in the book where I was sort of like, oh, great. We're here now. 
you know, I'm interested. Again. I'm interested. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm back in. And, and so then rewatching it again this time, I was like, Oh, she fucking crushes it. Like she's so good at being this horrible, horrible person. And, uh, yeah, there, there's one line about she enjoys music and there's probably nobody in England who enjoys music more than her. And then she says, if I had ever taken a lesson, I have no <laughs> doubt that I would have been an absolute master at it. And it's sort of like that confidence <laughs> is something that I aspire to. Like that is supreme, <laughs> supreme. And I was just like, holy fuck. She's so good. She's so funny. Um, and she obviously gets the big scene later on with, with Elizabeth. But yeah. Yeah, she's she just wonderful. So I know I do it. If I've seen a movie or a show and then read the source material, the book, whatever, and then go back and watch it. When I read the book, I do picture whoever they've the casted it. Yeah. They whoever they've casted in the role. Do you do that or do you make up kind of your own images in your head? Uh I don't make up my own images, but like I guess it it's like even though I love this movie and I'd seen it a few times, like I wasn't actively thinking of Kira Knightley when I was reading about Elizabeth Bennett. But at the same time, I think there are maybe, and maybe that's because there have been, I know that there have been other versions of this. There have been other actors and actresses who have played these characters. Whereas something like Harry Potter, yeah. when I finally went back and finished the books after watching all the movies, I couldn't not think of Daniel Radcliffe okay. as Harry. You know what I mean? Like I, when I, not that I go back and read it all the time, but like when I go back and read little bits of like the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. I can't help but think of Elijah Wood and Ian McKellen and these guys who were in the fellowship and stuff like that. Um, but it's not like, it's not that I'm actively doing it. Like I read a lot of books after seeing the movies. Okay. And so it's not, I wouldn't say it's even like a majority of the time I'm, I'm picturing the actors. It's, it's very much sort of like there are a few key things here and there, which sort of like, I can't help but do it. But for the most part, no. Oh, okay, because yeah. I of the how much I have read of this, I was picturing them. Oh, so okay. like I was reading scenes and kind of acting it out almost in my head. Yeah. With their faces on the bodies and stuff like that. So. Um. Any any sort of last things you want to say about Pride and Prejudice? Um, the one scene that I I'm looking at now that actually made me laugh is once again it's a scene with Collins in it because his scenes tended to make me laugh because I was kind of uncomfortable most of them um but when him and Elizabeth are dancing and they're trying to have a conversation yeah but then she's also having a conversation with Jane yeah (laughs) and like you can see how broken up and how like disjointed that conversation is because clearly she's not interested in Collins's conversation with her it's Jane but then I think it's the next party or something like that she then has a conversation with darcy while they're dancing and it's well, still it's like just, it's the same oh, one. is it the same, same one? one same party yeah. and she's just having this very fluid conversation yeah. with him and i was like i think that like that was really well done because it didn't matter what the dance was it mattered who she was talking to yeah. Yeah. on like could she have a fluid conversation while moving and stuff and i, was, I thought that was really well I done. Think, i think like just to keep going off that like you've read why mr collins is there in the first place, right? Like you understand, have you read all of that? Yeah. He's trying to find well, he's, the he's, lady. Judy Dench's character has kind of said, go you find need to, a wife. You go find a wife. Yeah. But like you, and he's going he, to inherit the house. He's going to inherit the house. So like, yeah. Like even though the, um, 
Mr. Bennett has five children. They're all girls. And so therefore they can't inherit any of the land that he owns. And so Mr. Collins is going to get it all. Yeah. And so. In He's the, trying to keep it in the family basically. Right? Yeah. Like in the book, in the book, it goes into more detail about why Elizabeth would, um, I don't even want to say accept, but like deal with Mr. Collins in the way that she does. It's because there is pressure from the family to be like, one of you girls needs to marry him so that we can keep the house. Yeah. And so that's why she accepts his invitation to the dance is because she's like, fuck, like I might have to do this here, guys. Like I might have to take this bullet. And so, whereas in the movie, I think they more or less just do it out of like, she's just being polite. Yeah. There, there was, there's more there. And then, yeah, like the Darcy dance, I think is interesting. You singled out that they have this full conversation, no matter what the dance move is they then it then does this thing where everybody disappears and yes. it's just the two of them in the room i loved that and you're just like that is when i was saying that like joe wright was making some directorial choices to make the movie more cinematic like that is one of those choices where it's like i'm going to physically show you now that these two are so locked in on each other that they're the only ones in the room yeah it's a crowded, crowded room, and they're the only two people there. And it's like, it's maybe not the most subtle choice or the subtle way to do it, but it is certainly effective to be like, oh, I fully get it now. Like, these two kind of hate each other, but at the same time, like, can only only have eyes for each other at the same time sort of thing. And so I think, like, there's all those sorts of little choices and whatnot throughout the movie. The thing that I love, you brought up the party there, is that, like, the parties feel and sound like parties. Yes. They are loud. There are tons of people. They're kind of chaotic. They're like... a little chaotic. When when the characters are having conversations, the dialogue is mixed low. And so you sort of have to lean in a little bit to like hear what they're saying. But like that's how a party is. Like if you're having a private conversation off to the side of big fucking dance floor. You can't really hear the person you're yeah. you're talking to. So, like, one of my favorite movies is The Social Network, and they do that where they have a nightclub scene, and you can barely hear what is being said at the nightclub scene because you're like, it's a fucking nightclub. Like, of course you can't hear what the other person's saying a foot away. And so the fact that this movie had it too, I was like, nice, great choice, good decision, like, totally here for it. So. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in one of the party scenes, they almost do, like, a one-shot Right? Like they do an you, extended, yeah. The, you follow Elizabeth and then Elizabeth kind of goes out of her room and you follow Mr. like Somebody the dad and, yeah. and stuff. And I, like I love those shots because that's how you would if I'm going through a room, I would get distracted by somebody, yep. but somebody else like yep. right? Like Well just it puts you in the perspective of like you're there. Like yeah. you know what I mean? There there are a lot of shots like that. One of the first shots in the entire movie is when Elizabeth comes home. And the camera just goes through the house yeah. and shows you all the, you know, Mary's at the piano. So, okay, we get it. Mary, Mary likes music. You know, Lydia. The, ki- the kitchen's a bit of a mess. The kitchen's like... a bit of a mess. Lydia and Kitty are off fucking doing whatever they're doing. <laughs> We're like, you know, they're up to some mischief and you're like, fully get it. Yeah. I fully understand this world now. And it's like, yeah, like movies like this. It's a little bit like what I was saying when we did the movie swap and I watched Young Victoria, like, just because we think of this time period as being like stiff and proper and all these sort of things that are, you know, not very much fun, doesn't mean that you can't have fun with yeah. them. And I think 
like I said, young Victoria was like a very good example. I think this might be one of the best examples of like, you can have a lot of fun with this. You can have a ton of fun with this. You just need to sort of love the source material in a way that you can change a little bit, but still retain the sort of deeper meaning. Yeah. The other thing I just wanted kind of to hear whatever you wanted to say about it, her parents or the parents of it, of the five girls or whatever, make me laugh as well. Because clearly the dad is just like, I have five daughters. They'll figure themselves out. Just like, I'm not going to kind of get involved with like the women politics and the marriage politics. And the mom is there being like, okay, so you're going to go to Mr. Bingley's house. I know it's far and it's going to have, we're going to have a torrential downpour, but you're going to go on horseback. Because like, I guess if you have to stay, I guess you have to stay. And like all the girls are being like, can we not just send her in the carriage? Well, no, because then she has to stay over. <laughs> like... well, I, think, I think that was one of the things that maybe the movie doesn't convey all that well is that like how long things take yeah. to to happen. And so like she's there for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> like, she stopped over to have lunch and ended up staying four weeks. And she's only like three miles down the road. Like, yeah, I walk three miles every day. Like, you know what I mean? It's not a big deal. But yeah, she ends up staying there for weeks. Yeah. And you're just like, holy shit. Okay. Like just a different time period. Uh, what, I, what I will say about the parents is like, yeah, obviously the mother character is like. Just relentless. Yeah. She's far more concerned about how her daughters are going to end up watching Donald Sutherland play the dad. <laughs> I was like, fuck. I like relate to this character so deeply. Like all he wants, he gets up in the morning has breakfast, reads the newspaper, and then goes into his office and reads books all day. And I was like, holy shit. Or talks about his pigs. Or talks about his pigs. And I was just like, this very much could be me in like 30, 40 years because that's kind of me already. Yeah. So like, (laughs) I had deeply, deeply relate to Mr. Bennett. Um, But yeah, like again, like I think, I think again, like in in a lesser movie, sort of around similar ideas, the mother would be seen as this like um like horrible sort of overbearing person of like constantly trying to like manipulate her daughters into marriage and stuff like that and she certainly is that to a little bit of an extent and she oversteps her bounds every once in a while but she does get that moment later on with Elizabeth where she's like wait till you have five daughters that, yeah i was about to bring then, up that point yeah like then we'll see how you feel about your daughters marrying you know, quote unquote, good men, like yeah, good men to them is just people who make lots of money, but still, um, whereas like the, the father, he gets the moments of like, I think you get the sense that like he sees himself in some of these girls more so some more than others, but where he gets the moments of like, you know, if you marry this guy, like I'll never speak to you again because I do not like him. Yeah. Sort of like, Oh, okay. Like, He's just not going to let them go off to just sort of anybody like who they're going off to is very important to him. So I think both, both parents, you, you get an understanding of where they're coming from. Do you have any final things? Um, I don't th- like not, not really. I think um, the last thing I'll say is just like Matthew McFadden coming through the early morning mist. Like, Are you how, loving them? How could you say no to that at all? Like, there's no one in their right minds would be able to say no to that. So, anyone who only knows him as Tom Wamsgams from Succession, go back and watch this movie. Okay. Buddy is a hard. I haven't, girl. haven't seen Succession yet, so I only know him as this. Well, the the the, the, so. pro, the Succession character, he's a bit, he's a bit of a 
goof and like oh, okay. a bit bumbling. And so like to see him in this year, just like, oh man, he's he's a handsome fellow. <laughs> he's a handsome guy. So um, but yeah, no, we can we can sort of uh wrap up Pride and Prejudice there. I think like you obviously need to keep going. Keep reading. Just okay. finish the book. Finish the book because I I it think, gets better and easier to read. Well, I don't know if it gets better and easier. I think once the shift happens, which like you're right there, you're very close to where it happens. Um, once you start to see Darcy in a new light, the whole story does like dramatically change. Okay. Um, because you are then sort of like, oh shit, like I had, I had prejudice against him just like Elizabeth. Oh my God. Look at my you. My pride got in the way of you know, whatever. I don't know. That's uh, it's obviously one. He, he's pride and she's prejudiced. But yeah, um, I would just look, keep, keep look reading. at you bringing in the title, Kieran. Keep reading. Yeah, <laughs> it's not my first podcast. So, what are we teasing for next week? It is a fashion story. Oh, my favorite. I know it's right up your alley. So, and with uh, uh, once again, an awesome cast. But yes. I don't think we pick movies without an awesome cast. So. Well, what I, what I would say so far, I'm not looking forward to this. For the most part, with the exception of like one movie, and everybody knows what that one movie is. We've more or less covered movies that I have really enjoyed. Even yeah. the movies that I had not seen before, I ended up enjoying them. And that's continuing next week. But I think eventually we will have to get to or talk about a big movie that I do not like and i'm not looking forward to when that happens but as of right now yes we're, we're, we're still moving forward with the positive vibes and uh yeah i i like i could say it right now i know that i enjoy next week's episode yeah okay. i know i enjoy the movie so haven't seen it for a few years but i know i like it sounds good see everybody next week